Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3. And we'll begin in verse 14 in just a moment. As you're finding your way to Ephesians 3, 14, both in this room and in our Family Life Center, and and those who are connected to us in our extended family watching online right now, I simply want to take a moment to say uh, to all those to whom this applies, Happy Mother's Day! Oh, come on. (laughs) If you have reservations at noon, you're not going to get out with that kind of energy. Happy Mother's Day. All right, amen. So today we want to uh, continue with our series, uh, The Fam, part two, The Fam. But for today, the text for this passage, for this study, is going to come from Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to this gorgeous piece of scripture as it comes to us from Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, of of his glory, that he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the reading of the sacred word. It is reliable and it can be trusted. Will you take a moment to pray with me now? Good and loving and present and attentive and steady God. We open up our hearts and minds to you this day in the midst of a world that can at times be anything but those things. And we pray that as we open up your holy scripture, we who have gathered here to worship you, we pray that your spirit would so be alive within us that we recognize something in these, these words that provokes a change in us, that strengthens us so that those who came in hurting may leave hoping. Speak to us in a way, Lord, that those who came in 
barely making it, exhausted, running on fumes, would leave infused with some kind of peace and confidence, the likes of which they have never known before because they encountered you. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire and fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So today I want to offer a few words to speak directly into the experience of motherhood. Because I'm such an expert at it, right? But before I do, in the series called The Fam, before I speak to mothers and grandmothers and the whole experience of motherhood, I want to stop and issue kind of a word before the word, kind of a prolegomena, words that come before the words you speak. And here it is. You've been with me and I've been with you for now going on the middle of seven years. That's our seventh year together, and you know some things about me by now. And if you don't know this... Uh, you've not been paying attention. You know that I believe to my core, to my core, that the church of Jesus Christ, the body of the risen Christ, ought to be in this world, maybe the only place on earth where those who are vulnerable and alone and who feel like they're on the outside looking in can find a place of safety. Amen? That means that we gather in from a variety of experiences. And, and on a day like this, it would not be our Christian attentiveness or, or responsibility to not acknowledge that there are those worshiping here for whom Mother's Day is not an easy day. I mean, motherhood is not a cookie-cutter experience, is it? For some of us, we have one experience, for others another when it comes to this day and the experience we have with our mothers. For some gathered on this campus right now, I, I promise you, you are sad every Mother's Day because your mother has died, maybe prematurely. And I know that there are those gathered in this body of believers for whom you, you struggle on Mother's Day because you are a mother and your child has died before they should have. It may be that you are one of our beloved who wants to be a mother. And yet you struggle with the anguish of infertility or even a lesser known and lesser talked about experience, secondary infertility, where we have one child and we can't seem to do this again. What's going on? And you struggle and you grimace every time you come to church on Mother's Day because you just don't want to be ignored again. You don't want to be on the outside looking in on some big celebration you have some kind of uh, no, no, a part, no part of. And it may even be that you that you have an experience where you are a mother and you have a mother and yet there's something going on between you. And it may be mild, it may just be an argument, it may be tense, it may go back a long way, it may be even filled with a great sense of anxiety and, and difficulty. So you come to this day and you're not sure what to expect and I want you to hear your pastor say on behalf of the rest of your sisters and brothers in this space, even while we speak directly into the experience of motherhood, you are not neglected in this moment. We acknowledge right where you are. We respect 
right where your, your journey has brought you. We respect it and acknowledge it, and you will not be glossed over in this place. You're welcomed here, and we, we love you, and we pray alongside you. And if there's anybody in the church who agrees with what I'm saying, and you want to make sure that your sister or brother who is having a hard time today knows they are welcome in this place, let them hear it by simply saying, Amen. All right. Now, in that safe space that we've acknowledged with one another, I do want to talk about moms. This week, earlier as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I found a new person on Twitter. Uh, she goes by the profile. Her profile name is, um, is um, Owl Mom or Mom, Mommy Owl, I think, something like that. Uh, and she's funny. Monday, she posted something that I couldn't stop thinking about. This is what she said on Twitter. She said, all I want for Mother's Day is to sleep for nine straight hours, wake up to the sound of coffee brewing, and then have my husband say things like, I'm going to take the kids all day so you can sit on the couch in your PJs and buy your Mother's Day gift in peace. <laughs> Come on. And buy your Mother's Day gift in peace. I showed my wife that tweet, and she said, yes, amen. I don't know if that's your experience, but that speaks some truth, does it not? Later in the week, I found another tweet uh, by Mommy Al, and this is what she said. It's a little bit more serious. Uh, there just aren't enough songs about moms folding laundry and slowly losing their minds. Okay. I any sisters in the house want to give me an amen on that one? Okay. This is why I want to talk for just a few moments about keeping mom from losing her marbles. About, uh, oh gosh, it's been a long time now, but when we lived in Tennessee at my first pastorate, we lived in a house with a couple of acres. That meant that a couple of times a year, I would, I would bush hog uh, the, the tall grass. I'd borrow my father-in-law's tractor and I'd knock it down a couple of times a year. It's interesting when you bush hog. What kind of critters and vermin begin to run, scurry, scatter, and slither out from your path? There may be a colorful chicken snake that slithers away. There could be a family of, of, uh, of rabbits that bounce to their new place to hide. Or like this day, a mother bird who stopped me and my tractor in its tracks. I was going along. This is a kill deer. And, and I met a kill deer, didn't want to meet a kill deer, but here's how I met her. Driving along in my tractor, and out of nowhere, I'm just enjoying the day. It's a great day. I mean, I'm listening to music. It's a gorgeous day. I've got my headphones on, and when I say headphones, I mean like the plastic with like the foam that sits on the outside of the ear. You know what I'm talking about? $3.99 at Walgreens. You can get them really easy. And, like, and I was listening to my tape player, you know? Do you remember what? Am I talking to anybody? And I'm enjoying my day, and I'm just on the tractor, and things are going great. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something flies right in front of my face, about a foot in front of my face. I stop. It scares me to death. My heart is racing. I look around. There's nothing in the sky. There's no bird anywhere. I, I, I start the tractor back up, and I keep going. And then from the other direction, right in front of my face. And so I stop, turn the tractor off, and I can't find this bird anywhere. And then I look. And about 10 to 12 feet in front of me, on the ground, in front of the tractor, is this killdeer, the picture that you just saw a moment ago. And she has assumed this posture. And her wings are spread. I'm not kidding. Her wings are spread. And she's looking at me as if to say, you sure you want to do this? 
And I learned later it was a killdeer, and part of the behavior of the killdeer is to, to lay your, your nest there in the, in the tall grass. But another thing they do, I learned, and she did this with me that day, is they do what's called the broken wing ruse. Where if the predator doesn't move after seeing her spread her wings and cock and, and, and caw, what's, what's the sound a killdeer makes? She cries. She says, yo, uh, it's far enough. And after she does that, if it doesn't work, she does the broken wing ruse. Where she flies over, she walks over to another part away from her nest and she pretends like a, like a wing is broken. And she starts to cry as if it's broken, as if to say, hey, predator, look at me. I can't run. I can't fly. I'd make a much better meal. And the predator will come after her and she didn't fly off. Well, she, he tried that with me that day. In fact, I found a video of the exact behavior that I experienced that day. I want you to see just a few seconds of it. Here's a kill deer. Watch what she does. She scurries over to her right and decides to enact plan B, the broken wing ruse. Hey, look at me. That's, that's my best kill deer impression. My wing's broken. I'm vulnerable. Come get me, I'd make a better meal. And when it doesn't work, she rethinks and says, I'm going to have to take another run at this, this fool. So she walks forward as if to say, I am serious about this. Now, that's good. Graham, thanks. Well, as I see a video like that and am reminded of that stand that she takes to keep her children safe, it reminds me of a truth that is ancient and primal and true today, and that is when it comes to her family, a mother isn't messing around. Somebody say Amen. When it comes to her family, a mother isn't messing around. In fact, I found another video just yesterday in preparing for the sermon. I found this online. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, of another bird. It may be a killdeer. And a tractor comes upon her. This is stunning. A tractor comes upon her. and Watch. She spreads her wings over her eggs. You can see the eggs there. The tractor goes right over her. And she doesn't move a muscle. After the tires pass, the, the plow comes up and the, the farmer sees and stops the tractor, raises the plow up to skip over the bird, and then wait for it. It bumps her head. Hey, watch it. And through the whole ordeal, doesn't make a move. When I think about what the birds are telling us is that there is a fierceness to a mother's love. A fierceness to a mother's love. And every mother I have ever met shares this in common in one degree or another when it comes to her children, her family. In fact, I want to say today as we are here around the sacred word that, that this is not something that you only have in common with each other, moms. This fierceness of love. This is something you have in common with God. In sacred scripture, in the Bible, the Bible is crammed, filled with example after example where the writers of scripture throughout the ages, all throughout the different eras, would attempt to try to wrap words around the character of God. They try to wrap words around describing a particular trait or nature of God. And with all of the best metaphors and 
all of the best parables and images at their disposal, time and again, the best one that they could find to fit what they were trying to say about God was to compare God to the way a mother cares for her children. In the book of Psalms and in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah, God is described as a mother bird protecting her young. In the book of Hosea, Hosea describes God as a mother bear who is raging against those who would threaten her cubs. In Deuteronomy 32, we hear these words, As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads broad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings, so the Lord did, alone did, with with Jacob. Even our Lord Jesus Christ used these images to describe the, the intensity of care that God has. This is what he said in Matthew's Gospel. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. According to the writers of Scripture, there is no doubt an obvious fierceness when it comes to the love of a mother and in places where it attempts to describe the character of God you can improve upon that as an example in fact all through scripture there's even there's even imagery of God giving birth to beautiful things one of the most important and reoccurring words that are used in the Hebrew Bible to describe God is the word for compassion and in Hebrew the word for compassion is racham but there's another word in Hebrew that's very close to racham, is racheb. And racham shares a root with racham, but racham is not compassion. Racham is womb. And in Job, we hear these words. For or from whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? In Isaiah, we read an amazing uh, illustration of God's intense motherly love when we hear these words. For a long time, oh, how many of y'all heard this in your kitchen? For a long time, I've held my peace. I've kept still and I've restrained myself. Listen, sometimes we hear my, my son's mother talk that way. I've had it up to here. I've kept quiet. I've kept my mouth shut. And when she starts talking that way, I get scared. (laughs) And God says, for a long time, I've held my peace, I've kept my still, I've restrained myself, but now, watch, now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant against Israel in the Bible. The intensity of God's passion for justice and for uh, righteousness is compared to to the breath of a woman in childbirth. And that's not, so Finley, that's not Lamaze breathing. Okay, that's not, Finley, that's not, you know, cleansing deep, cleansing relaxing. That's, that's crying out in anguish because there is a fierceness to the love of a mother and that fierceness is evidence of the image of God in you. But it's not just that moms give birth. It's not just that God is illustrated as a mom crying out with passion. But the way in which moms care for and nurture. Listen to these words from Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? 
Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Do you know what's happening in this verse? It's a play on words. It's a, oh, it's provocative. Because here's the truth that we all know. If you are a nursing mother, you have a built-in anatomical reminder that your children need you in ways that only you can provide. And moms, every time your body aches, right? Whether your body is showing the visible signs of having given birth, or your body aches physically, or you ache mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when you ache relationally because you know your children need something, you are reflecting the very image and character of the divine. But it's not just that women remind us, that, that, that mothers remind us of the intense care of God, but it's a kind of care that doesn't come to an end. Listen to these two gorgeous passages from Isaiah that describe how God's love starts when they're young and it goes until you have gray hair. Listen to these words. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river and and wealth of nations like an overflowing stream and, and you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and, listen to these verbs, dandled on her knees As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. It goes on in Isaiah to say, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am the one. Even when you turn gray, somebody say amen to gray, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and I will save. Listen to those verbs. Listen to them. From birth until gray hair, I have made you. I will bear you. I will carry you. I will save. These motherly images are the best that the biblical writers could find to describe the character of the fierceness of the love of God. A love that starts before we're even aware of it and we're up here being held and being given blankets and and given letters to read later and it doesn't end even after we've become gray. And the Bible says with one collective voice, if you want to know the character, the image, the power of God, look at a mom. But here is the rub. With great faith, Fierceness of love comes depth of worry. The more fiercely we love, the more deeply we worry about those whom we love. And I want to just address that for just a moment because I can just, I want to say it plainly from my observation in this life moms worry. Now listen, dads worry too, but it's not the same. Let me just tell you what I'm talking about. Moms worry about, are the kids well? Are they healthy? Are they safe? Are they clean? Are they, are they brushing their teeth? Are they... Can I tell you one time when, when the kids were in elementary school? We were in Orlando, and we sent the kids to camp in East Tennessee. It was like a rustic camp. They had to pack, stay out for a week together at this place. And we packed, and, and Jackson was, was really little. He's in elementary school, and... We packed, I didn't pack them, Laura packed them, you know, if we're just getting honest on Mother's Day. 
Send him away with everything he needs for each day. There's your toiletries. There's a change of clothes for each day. There's your shoes, your underwear, your shirts, everything you need. He gets back from camp at the end of the week. Some of you moms are already shaking your head because you know where I'm going. We open up that case and all of his underwear were still neatly folded (laughs) in the same place where they had been folded at the beginning of the week. Now, just to show you the difference, Laura then does a face plan. Oh, no. Oh, what will people think? What do the counselors think? What do the other moms think about this? You know, but, but I was like, man, that is awesome. That <laughs> is hilarious, right? So moms worry. Dads worry, too, but it's not the same. And it's not just this primal kind of, are they eating? Are they safe? Are they okay? It's beyond that. Are they adjusting? Are they feeling the change that we're going through in our family the way that we're feeling it? Because they're not saying it the same way we can say it. So how are they doing? When I drop them off at school, does anybody talk to them? Does somebody eat lunch with them or they just sit by themselves at, at lunch? And, and when they go to middle school, they're, they're going through some changes and they don't understand the changes happening inside them. Are they okay? Are they talking about it? When they go to high school and the, the problems become adult problems in high school and they're not talking as freely as they used to talk are are they okay and I worry a mother would say I worry that that I can't fix the thing that's happening but it doesn't stop in high school now my kids are married and they're having their baby but there's been some complications or now there's a problem in the marriage and our children are divorced and they don't know what the next step is you see what I'm saying just like the God presented in Isaiah There is a never-ending call to a fierceness of love, and mothers feel it, and it results sometimes in a worry that can be debilitating. A worry that is is worn heavily on the shoulders that I want to just address for a moment, because on top of all that worry, there is this overarching worry as as we think about our kids or our family. I mean, for crying out loud, moms worry about their husbands, too. On top of all the worry that they have to take care of, there is one overarching worry, and it's this fear that I'm running out of time. The fear that I'm running out of time. And I'm talking to you, not as a mother, but as a father who we're about to launch one of our sons into the next phase of life. We're about to graduate, move on, right? So I'm aware we're collecting pictures like some of you did for your seniors last week in the celebration of our senior graduates here at church. I'm I'm going through uh, pictures of Nathan when he's like born and when he's like two and three. And I promise you, I promise you, I took that picture last Thursday. So there is a very real sense in which this fear emerges. And with moms, it's acute. It's a, it's a cute fear. It's not acute fear, but the fear is acute. In that I am running out of time. What if I don't have enough time to tell them everything they need to know or to provide everything they need to provide? After all, they're no longer in this grade, no longer in this phase. I want to talk to you about that for just a moment because if that's where you are, I want to offer you a a new thought today. There there is an an illustration going around that's become popular in recent years. An illustration that's meant to encourage, right? 
And I just want to address it for a moment. There's an illustration that involves a jar of marbles. And on the surface, it really is a great illustration. I mean, the idea is you give a family a jar of about a thousand marbles. And you tell them at their baby dedication, um, there are about a thousand weeks between birth and graduation. So every week, the idea, part of the analogy is, every week, uh, take one marble out. And by the time they graduate, you will see that the marbles have gone. There's another version that includes 18 marbles. You know, it's like 18 marbles, and every year on the birthday, you take one more marble out of the jar, and you see you have a visual reminder of how fast time is passing. Can I just tell you um, that I hate this illustration? <laughs> I hate the illustration. Because, I get it. I get why. Don't get me wrong. I mean, underneath it, it's a great idea because here's the idea. Hey, because after about kindergarten, look here, uh, you got that, that many left. Oh, watch this. Oh, it's third grade. They're writing cursive now. Are they writing cursive now in the third grade? I don't know. But as they graduate, oh, look, here they are. It's out of elementary school time, and we're just moving on, trucking on. And look, middle school has passed. We're down to around about high school. And the idea is as time passes and you see the marbles uh, disappear, you become acutely aware that time is running out. And I'm losing my time, and it's meant to do this. When you become aware of how much time is left, it is intended to make you more attentive to the time that you have remaining. You know, so that you don't just blow by every big event, so that you're present. You're not just, you're just zooming by life. It's, it's meant to say, slow down, pump the brakes, be present. You're not going to have this forever. And all of that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Here's what I don't like about this illustration. Here we go. We're moving on down. Oh, graduation. Oh, getting married. Oh, going to have the first baby. Oh, look. And by the time they graduate, it's supposed to be kind of empty. We just have a few, <laughs> by the time they end, we just have about a few marbles rolling around. Here's what I don't like about it. This whole analogy is built upon a scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset is the mindset that says, hey, what are we missing? The scarcity mind begins with, hey, what do we not have? What are we losing? What are we getting rid of? What do we not have enough of? And when you build your life and the relationships in your life based on what's missing or what you're running out of, it causes you to be less than the ideal version of you that God intended you to be. It causes parents to be a less ideal version of your parenthood. Because let me just color how this looks. If you are parenting from a perspective of scarcity, I'm running out of time. I've got no time. Oh, quick, I'm kind of worried. The anxiety rises. And as the anxiety rises, your behavior changes. Oh, now I guess I better, gosh, we don't have much time. We better go ahead and indulge them. Let's just, do you know that sometimes you change your behavior when you worry about running out of time? When we moved here, Six and a half years ago, Jackson was still in elementary school. So we finished one year of elementary school here. And at the end of that year, we had a special event. And I'd never seen this before. I thought it was pretty cool. The fifth graders at the end of school get to do what's called a walkout. 
And at school, end of the day, they all walk out. There's music bumping, and it's great. It's great high energy. But so Laura and I show up to go do the walkout with them. That We line the hallway with parents. But we show up, and here's something we didn't expect. All these other parents showed up with, like, bouquets of flowers and balloons and gifts. And I'm like, what, did we miss the memo? What is this with all the swag, all the stuff? I leaned over to one woman, a mom, and I said, hey, so this is great, isn't it? Yo, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, but what's with all the, the flowers and the balloons and stuff? Is there like a what? And she said, oh, well, because. She said, because it's like the last day of elementary school. You know, they will never be in elementary school again, right? And I said, so I said to her, on the outside, you'd be proud. I was a, I was a great pastor. I said, I know, it's okay. But on the inside, I'm like, what's wrong with you, woman? Isn't this the point? I mean, isn't this the point? It's a good thing they're not going to be in elementary school next year. Otherwise, you'd have some other problems on your hand. I said, you know, we don't grieve the fact that they're not pooping their diapers anymore. So this is a part of their becoming who they are meant to become, right? I didn't say that out loud. I was more kind than I was, uh, than I'm being right now. But then here's what happens. Oh, my gosh i got to make sure that if this is the very last thing, let's amp it up. Let's indulge. And now at middle school, we're going to have to give a bigger gift and a better gift. And oh, and, and you know what you do when you think that you're running out of time? You pay so much attention to all the lasts that you elevate a, an unrealistic expectation for each one of the lasts. It's the last time in elementary. It's the last prom. It's the last graduate. Oh, it's the last time we'll go on vacation with our kids because they're getting married. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> They'll be back, right? Good. So we elevate this sense of unrealistic expectation so we behave differently. And you know what else we do? What else we do? Here's what we do. When we base our parenting on a scarcity mindset, we're running out. We're running out. We're running out of time. Running out of time. Running out of ideas. Running out of energy. Here's what we do. We become sometimes helicopter parents, don't we? We just hover over them and we control them and we get up in their space and we don't give them any freedom to become human beings. And worse than helicopter parenting, you know what we do? We become what's been called not helicopter parents, but lawnmower parents. Do you know what a lawnmower parent is? A lawnmower parent is a parent who, who mows down every obstacle that their kids are going to face so they don't have to come up against obstacles. Well, because I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to remove these obstacles because I don't want to have a regret later that, that I could have made it easier for them but didn't make it easier. But beloved sisters and brothers, let me just tell you, if we don't allow them to confront the obstacles that life brings to them, they will not develop the interior muscle tissue to actually survive in this world. So part of our calling is to shut off the lawnmower, put it back in the garage, and watch them fall on their faces so they learn something from it. Yeah. But the problem is we carry all this worry. Oh, but I, I'm going to have a regret. So I better, you know, uh, you know she, she's run out of gas. She's getting low on gas So uh, in the car that I bought her. So I, I, better, you know, I better give her some more gas money so she can go out and have a, a good time with her friends. Because they're only here a little bit. You know, she didn't really have time to have a part-time job because, you know, she's so busy with whatever. Okay, now, now I'm talking to all of us. Because I just want to say, here's what scarcity-minded parenting does. It makes us make choices that remove healthy parenting. But it's more than that. There is a better way. Because this is not an image 
of our God. See, our God is not a God of scarcity. Our God's very character is a God of abundance. There is a never-ending eternal supply of accessible resource and power and strength and confidence and opportunity in him. It's like a never-ending stream that flows up from the interior of the soul. Did you hear the scripture that I read at the very beginning of the service? Listen to it again from Ephesians 3, but listen through the ears of a worried, scarcity-minded parent. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, every fam, if I think I love my family with an intense fierceness, I can't compete with the God who created my family. There is one who loves my children even more than I love my children. From whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, watch, watch this, not the riches of my glory that run out year after year after year, but I pray that the riches of his glory, which are eternal, that are never-ending, a never-ending supply, that he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being where you worry and stress and fret with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now listen to these words. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the, the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness. Check that word out. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more. In other translations, you know what that phrase is? Now to him who is able to accomplish exceedingly, abundantly, excessively, far more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. To him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus to all the generations forever and ever. And I guess all I'm trying to say is when you think you've lost your marbles, remember the kind of God who you worship. It is not a God of emptiness and scarcity. Your, your jar actually looks more like this. It is a never-ending resource of providence and care, so much that it runs over even more than you can possibly ask, think, or imagine. This is the resource of God. But not only this, when we're talking about exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask or imagine, beloved, it just doesn't stop with God. I just want you to know that no matter how empty or vacant you think you are, there is a resource in the heavenlies who desires to be poured out in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Because now when you look at this, all the marbles that are surrounding and escaping the small container of, oh, I've only got 18 years, all these marbles, guess what? They're not things that you have missed. They are moments in time you have not yet even encountered with the ones you're worried about losing. Don't forget that when we say yes to Christ, this is a forever and eternal relationship that never, ever runs dry. Ever. Let somebody somewhere say amen. And let's pray. Good and loving God, we just want to rest in the image that is before us. 
that we put so many limitations upon you. We, we, we reduce what we think our influence is with our kids to, to 18 years, to 1,000 weeks or whatever. But Lord, in every conceivable way, you can exceed our expectations. And you, as the scripture has said, desire to fill us in our inner being with so much power and strength and confidence that in the very moment we worry we are not enough, you say, you're right, you're not, but I am. And we pray this day that someone would gather strength from that truth and be lifted up in heart and mind. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.